Let's continue worship by reading Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Glad you made it to church today. If I've not met you, my name is Chris. I'm glad you're here in person or online. I'm glad you're engaging today. It's a beautiful day outside. The weather's finally cleared. Thank the Lord. Um, the great need before the church in every age and society and time um, is to continually, repetitively, and ferociously hold before our own hearts God's purposes for the church. The church has always had a purpose, uh, and it is not ours. God himself gets to decide the church's mission, not us. God has intentions for what is supposed to be happening right now in this room. And today, we're starting a conversation over the next month or so, really wrestling uh, with this question, what is God's intentions for the church in the world? Or you could say it this way, by being a part of the people of God, what the New Testament calls the church, which is uh, ecclesia, means, just means the gathering, means the assembly, the crew, <laughs> the saints, the brothers, by being a part of this thing, Right here, the people around you, you can look if you want, people around you, by being a part of this right now in this room, what is it supposed to accomplish in and through you? What exactly are we giving ourselves to? Now, it's probably just me, but I, I am routinely grated, grated, you know the word, like a cheese grater, side of your face, you know? <laughs> Graded. I am routinely graded by the question, why? <laughs> Anyone else? I just, I'm probably just angsty. I'm an angsty dude, right? I can't, why? Why? Why are we doing this? Why, man? Like, why are we, why are we doing this, you know? I can't commit to something very long unless I'm continually reminded why I am doing it. 
right? I mean, do you ever get in a room and your heart is just screaming, why are we doing this? Like, what's the point? Okay, good. I got a couple. Good. Good. I'm glad I'm not alone. Because if I don't hold the why in front of me, um, I, I struggle, guys. I just struggle. I struggle to endure because here's the deal. Here's the deal. When the stuff hits the fan, you know what I mean, stuff, you know? Like, when you tart, when you tart, when you start taking hits, when you start taking hits, when enemy fire comes close, like when mortars are going off a couple yards away from your face, okay? Like when the fight comes to your doorstep and you start taking casualties, like when the pain is just churned up, just wrecked in that moment, you will either endure like a lion or run for shelter based on one thing, if you have a commitment and understanding of why you are doing it. No one is gonna take bullets whizzing past your head if, you, if you're like, why am I, like, why am I, I'm out. Like if I don't have firmly fixed in my heart and mind why I am in the fight, when bullets start going close to me, I'm like, see you later, guys. I'm out of here. I don't, it's not, what's, what's the phrase? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to take the casualties. It's not worth it to endure the pain. It's not worth it, man, to hang on. And if you don't have it fixed in your heart and mind, why you are in this, why Jesus, huh? Like, why are you, why you signed up for this? When bullets start whizzing past your head, you will bail. And this is, I, I, you already know that because over the past three years, that's exactly what's happened to the church. Not just this church, every church in America. Churches are a third the size as they were pre-COVID still. People, not, and it's not just like, well, they didn't want to, it's not just like, well, they were weird, you know? Because that's, like, I get that, right? Like church folk are weird, you know? I want to hang with them sometime, right? But it's not just that. It's, the, it's not, they didn't just bail on a, on a community. Dude, people have bailed on the faith. They have said, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Because when the pain was turned up, and when the heat started, when they started sensing that there's a cost, like I could be marginal, you know, out. They're out. Because they didn't have fixed in their head, their heart, their head, their heart, why am I in this fight? I'm telling you right now, if you don't have it fixed in your heart, why you follow Jesus, you will bail when things get tough, when dude betrays you, when your youth pastor turns out to be a jerk, right? When your pastor lets you down, when things aren't as impressive anymore, you will bail because you don't have a firm motivating factor that is enough to endure things like that, right? Is it worth it? So, the past three years have exemplified this. I have, I have friends, uh, you probably have friends, uh, that no longer follow Jesus now uh, because of the turmoil and the, all the things that have gone on in this, in this past stream. Well, you might even be in this room right now, and you're not really sure <laughs> why, why you follow Jesus or why you're committed to this thing. Well, this conversation's for you. This conversation's for you. If you're in this fight like one-footed, you know? Like you're kind of in it, but like sort of not. What, what I want to just raise before you is the eternal majestic cause of God through his church, throughout history, and in the world. 
And, and what I'm hoping to do by laying before you the purposes of God, not our purposes, that's an important distinction we have to make today, the purposes of God through his church today, I hope that you see that as the most bright, brilliant, life-giving, man, rebellious vision that you've ever caught wind of, right? We all need to know, we all need to know that there is something deeper going on. We all need to know it, y'all. We all need to know that there's a larger mission and a purpose and an undercurrent to what we're doing. Everyone wants a cause. Everyone wants a cause. And if we don't have it in our hearts and minds, you know, like, and what I want to wrestle with today is the cause of the church, the purpose of the church. And it's really not just today. We're just starting a conversation for the next month, right? And what I'm going to contend with you is that that purpose, that cause, um, if you have confidence in it to the end, right, if you are faithful to God's cause to the end, not, not the cause of a church, not, not, not just a people, God's, if you are faithful to that, you, that will make all of the sacrifices, all of the risk, all of the blood and sweat and enduring and tears seem, in Paul's word, light and momentary, huh? Insignificant, not even worth to be compared with the goodness and the pleasure and the glory and the beauty of that purpose. You see? See, this is, this is actually why we went through the book of Acts three years ago. Now, God, that's three years ago. The lockdowns almost three years ago, right? Because the book of Acts is the origins of the church, almost. Not totally, almost, right? The book of Acts is the origins of the church. It's how the church came into being. And when you are getting lost, you have two reference points to get you back on course, where you came from and where you're going, right? And it seemed like when everything, when all in our culture and society was happening, it just seemed like the furniture was coming off the ground, right? This massive dust storm. Everyone's angry and disoriented. And, you know, the enemy, you know, the enemy's going to use that junk, right? And uh, it was a time to me that seemed where Christian thought and purpose were being hijacked. And this is nothing new, right? It happens all the time by political causes, social issues, some good, some not so good. And it just seemed right to remind our hearts in that moment, right, of the biblical purposes of the church. Because what we were seeing left and right were lovely Christians justifying the most repugnant, judgmental, hateful ideas and positions, and many of them using Christianity to do it. And when, we were, when that was all just kind of stirring up, right? I'm kind of getting to like why we're doing this and talking about this. When all that stuff was just stirring up in our culture and social media and all that kind of stuff, first of all, I bailed off social media. Best decision ever made. You should totally try it. But I felt a need uh, to protest um, in my heart. Man, that is not the purpose of the church. Like that's not, that's not the hill that I'm gonna die on. That's not the flag that I'm flying. And it, and it begged the question in my own heart, what, what is the hill that I'll die on? Like, what is my purpose? Like, what is the thing that I'm ultimately loyal to? Why am I doing this, right? What's my flag, right? And the book of Acts, I think, helped us clarify that. But societal and cultural trends are really only one area where the church's mission is, is hijacked. That's, that's an area where the church's mission is hijacked all the time. There, the other area that God's, let's say church's mission, so that's just uh, God's purposes. We can, those are, okay, let's just pretend those are interchangeable. <laughs> okay. The other area that God's purposes in the church are hijacked is in your own heart. 
This is how we get sideways, okay? When we, when we get confused as to what the purpose is of being in this room and doing the church thing, right? Uh, God's purposes gets hijacked. So let me give you an example of that because it's a little harder to understand. Uh, when the purpose of prayer becomes to look good, now you've substituted God's purposes of prayer for something else, and that's come from your own heart. See, God's mission's been compromised. God's, the why behind the what's been broken when the purpose of prayer is to look good. Got it? Okay, it's been hijacked, right? Or when tithing becomes how you influence the pastor, or when reading the Bible becomes how you prove you know more than the other dummies in your small group, or when you obey God only so you can get what you want, and you hold up your obedience to God as to why he owes you something. See, you've, you've missed the whole point. You've hijacked something God gave you for your own purposes. It's not God's purpose, right? The purpose, the why behind the what, got twisted and backwards, and you forfeit the true reason and satisfaction of the whole thing in the first place, right? You've substituted pathetic, short-sighted, lesser rewards like feeling superior or popularity or money, right? You've substituted the temp temporal, temporal, <laughs> temporal for the eternal, right? A bowl of soup for an eternal inheritance. Therefore, so we, we, we talking, there's, there's, high, there's ways that the church's mission, God's mission's hijacked in our culture. There's ways that God's mission's hijacked in your own heart. The great need before the church in any age and society and time is to continually, repetitively, ferociously hold before our own hearts God's purposes, what he's after, his intention. So I don't know if you feel it in your life right now, okay? But I feel a desperate need in my own heart, to be reminded, uh, what's the point? Why am I enduring? I just, I feel it in my heart, big time. I need to be reminded, why am I taking hits right now? Like, why do, why do things feel so hard, and is this worth it? Okay, I'm just, that's where I'm at, all right? And what we hope to do over the next month is to say, here's why. Here's what we're called to. Here's why we're called to it. And here's why it's worth it. All right? I want to point to the why behind the what. I want to plea with you that what we get is far more satisfying and valuable than anything we could ever give in pursuit of that purpose and vision. So over the next month, we're going to dig into two things. Number one, what's the biblical vision for the people of God? And number two, why is it worth fighting for personally and corporately? That's the blueprint. Okay, just starting a conversation today. To answer those questions, we're going to try to biblically trace God's intentions for his people in the earth. Okay, and to do that well, to consider God's purpose for his people in the earth, arguably, you need to start at the beginning. That just makes sense. To answer the question, what is the purpose of the church? You actually have to answer a bigger question, a larger question further back, which is what's the purpose of humanity in the first place? All right? Because that's the purpose that has been broken and that now the church is called back into to redeem and restore. Okay? So, according to Genesis, you and I were created, we're going to just wrestle with this for the rest of our time today. You and I were created as images. Images, okay? So let's just um, thesaurus, is that the right word? Yeah, thesaurus images in your head. Icon, 
representative, likeness, huh? image, an image of something. If, if I say, hey, what does that store look like? You know, we're going to that place. I need to, what's it look like? Someone's like, oh, here's an image. Look up Google Earth, and then you can see an image of the place, of the, you want to go. And then when you go, you, you can, I, I do it all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to someone's house, never been there. What does it look like? Oh, I'm just going to creep. And then I get on Zillow, and I figure out how much they paid for their house. And then I, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, my wife does do that. Um, nobody, she's not in here, okay? I, ju- I just realized that, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Anyway, yeah, we're just, we'll just edit that right out. Um, an image, what is an image? It's a picture of a thing, man. It's, an, it's a representation of a thing. Is it the thing? Oh, uh, Google Earth isn't your house, but it's a picture of it. And what's the point of it? To show me what your house looks like. You and I were created as images. We're images of God. What's that mean? Well, you're a snapshot of the divine. That's bizarre. You and I, with all of our weird neurosis, you know, everything that we are, it didn't come out, the words didn't come out. You and I are to be images of God, pictures of God. Not only that, but you and I were created to rule and reign the earth for God as his image. And before you're like, well, isn't that what Mormons believe? No, wait. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Rule. Let them rule. That's my and your mandate in the earth. We were created as images of God to steward his created goodness for his glory and our good. That's ultimate, fundamental, foundational, created intention for humanity. To rule and reign for God as images of him. Images of him to who? Creation. All of it. So like he said, like he spoke uh, creation into existence, the soil, the earth, made it for the flourishing of humanity. He says, now you go subdue what I have created and cultivate it for human flourishing. And as you do that, you are to image me to all of creation, to each other, to the animals, to the soil. That means humanity's fundamental purpose in the cosmos is to be royal ambassadors of the one true king. That is our calling, okay? Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created him. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's the word. And have dominion over the fish, right? The birds, every living thing. This is our fundamental purpose and how that purpose can go sideways in the way it does. Now we can think about 
Now, how does that purpose go sideways? Well, we're meant to subdue an image. We're meant to image God and subdue the earth for human flourishing and represent his goodness to all creation. The ways it goes sideways is that we begin to rule all of his creation in our own definition of right and wrong. That's how it goes sideways. We know we sense our mandate to rule. We sense our mandate to, to have and to own and to subdue. But then it spirals out of control into tyranny and despotism, right? When we try to rule with violence and oppression and exploitation, and in doing so, fail to fulfill God's mission of imaging him to the, to the earth, right? Uh, when we refuse the ways of God, we no longer reflect his goodness and his creative generosity to all the creatures. So we rule, but we do it in our own wisdom, right? And we do it defining right and wrong for, on our own selfish terms, often ignoring the fact that others are also created in the image of God, right? So number one, for us, this means, let me point out a couple things this means for us and then for others, okay? So number one, this means for us, being made as an image of someone, right, means that your intended purpose as a human, as a man or a woman, is to represent another. That's what that means, doesn't it? Your intended purpose, your created intended purpose as a man or a woman is to represent another. Well, or you could say it this way. It means this is not about you. That's what this means. It's not about you. You are a picture of someone else. You and I, to be a portrayal, a snapshot, a kind of copy on a smaller scale of God himself, his ruler representatives, man and woman, in their own unique and beautiful ways, created to echo the beauty and creative wonder of God himself, right? It's no wonder then that the most common idol in our hearts is other humans, isn't it? When you think about humanity's capacity for beauty and wisdom and genius, right? It's breathtaking, y'all. Like we're pretty cool, huh? right? I mean, we're, we're pretty great. Look at the things we can create, our capacity for beauty, especially in our day, right? We aren't tempted to worship uh, golden cows or wooden figures. No, we're tempted to worship each other, right? Whether it's physical beauty or the ability to create music, you know, when you're younger, you just worship that musician, whatever, right? Or art or the ability to design and create awe-inspiring structures. We worship each other because we, we all inherently possess the imago Dei. That's what Latin is, the image of God, Right? But see, it's not just an external and physical representation. It's an internal spiritual reality as well, which means you and I were made to reflect his kindness, his grace, his forgiveness, his long-suffering, his patience in the world. This is your fundamental overarching purpose, whether you call yourself a Christian or not. It's what you were created to do. It's God's intention for your life. And if he made it all, then it's his intentions, whether or not you call yourself a Christian. And it has wide-reaching implications and undeserved delights. All right, so let's chat. Does this in any way bear a resemblance to your own ideas of your personal purpose and meaning in the world? Do you, I mean, do you even have a notion of any personal purpose and mission in your own life? Do you, do you have that? What, what does God's vision of being his representatives, of imaging him, what does that mean for you on a personal level? Let's just say in your family. You gonna go there for first, Chris? Yeah, just gonna go, go straight for the jugular, you know? Why not? We're talking about it. Do you feel any amounts at all of this weight on you? What, what 2 Corinthians 4 calls 
the weight of glory. Do you feel any amount of this weight on you when you talk to your spouse? Yeah, right. Do you feel any amount of the weight of glory on you when you talk to your kids? What does this mean for how you go to work? What does this mean for how you work? What does this mean for your faithfulness or lack thereof, your diligence or lack thereof, your attentiveness or lack thereof? What does it mean? See, it all has, everything changes if you don't own the vessel you're running, doesn't it? See, if you own the boat, you can kick it. You can let it crash into a rock. You can not do maintenance, not worry about it. You know, you own it, it's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. But if you're a steward, that changes things. If, if your mere existence is intended to image someone else, then it changes how we look at everything. It changes how we look at how we work. It changes how we look and how we approach how we talk to our wife. Because if it's true, it's true in all spheres of life. And there is this no, there's none of this nonsense of compartmentalizing something like this and having it true in one sphere, not true in another. It's nonsense. That makes, there's no logic to that. If it's true, it's true in all of life. It's true in how you talk to your wife. It's true in how you talk to your kids. It's true in how you go about your work on a daily basis. Do you have any sense of this weight on you? Because it is a weight. It is a burden. But what 2 Corinthians is going to call it, it's going to call it a burden of glory. A burden of, let's, let's thesaurus that word, beauty. A burden of delight. That's what we're called to. That's what we're created for. And what we begin to see, y'all, is that God's vision for you is far higher and far more majestic than you have for yourself. It's far more beautiful, far more awe-inspiring, far more full of grace and life and truth than the vision that you have for yourself or could ever come up with for yourself. He says, your purpose is to extend the very light and life of God to all around you. And it reminds me of characters in books that everywhere they go, things grow. It reminds me of characters in books where they walk into a desert and grass starts to grow and trees start to grow and rivers follow them. And they represent this kind of resource from another land. And the call on me and you as Christians is to be these little causeways. Is that the right word? I don't know. It's the right word. Tributaries, I don't know if it's right. little, str- I don't know what the right word, streams, right? That are coming from the very heart of God out into the desert. We are to be vessels, avenues by which he extends himself to the world around us. I'll tell you, man, I, I, I got nothing like that, man. I got no, I can't come up with anything that good for my own purpose in life, man. I'm like, play video games, you know? What's your purpose in life, man? I don't know. I hope my kids don't end up in jail, you know? You know, just what's your purpose, man? I'm going to get money. I'm going to get a lot of money. That's your purpose? 
Cool, awesome, great. Like nothing in comparison to the purpose of God held before you today. All right? You get all the money you want, man, as a corpse, a dead person. And the vision of God is that the dead in you be brought to life and you then become a vessel for that life to reach out to everywhere you go. Every desert you walk into, every wilderness you walk into to be a vessel, an avenue of that life, the life of God himself. That's the vision. That's God's vision for humanity, broken and twisted by sin as it is. Huh? What does it mean for others? Well, the Imago Dei, the image of God, that's all we're sitting with. What does that mean for how you talk to others? Well, it means it changes the framework for how we engage. See, you and I, whether you know it or not, have a framework for how or if you will engage with others, okay? That framework that you have is helping you decide, will I engage with this person at all? And if I will, will I engage with them as an equal? Will I engage with them as a superior or will I, will I engage with them as beneath me? Every one of you has a framework for this, okay? We all do, whether we know it or not. Will I engage with this person? And that framework is gonna guide how you, how you view other people, right? So for many of us, let's, what are the frames? What are the frameworks? Well, for many of us, right, well, let's just think of some common frameworks for how people assess this. Are they pretty, <laughs> right? Am I drawn to them? That's going to decide whether you engage with someone, right? Do I think they're cool? How are they dressed? Are they in the same season of life? That's a, that's a common guide, right? Same season of life. I can probably relate to this person, right? They got kids, right? They're pulling their hair out, barely staying alive with kids. I can probably relate to you, right? All right. Oh, same culture. Yeah, the same culture. It's a great framework, right? Same ethnicity, same socioeconomic status. That's a very common framework, right? You drive the same car I drive, live in the same neighborhood I live. I can engage with you as an equal, <laughs> right? So... What are some other frameworks for how or if or how we will engage with people? We're going to go there. Politics. That's the framework, isn't it? Will I engage with that person? Well, I saw a bumper sticker on their car. They are clearly my inferiors. <laughs> oh, you're going to laugh like it's not true. That's totally true. All right? You, you know, just put them in a little box because the bumper sticker on their car, you're not going to engage them at all. That's worse than engaging with them as an inferior, just acting like they don't exist, right? You're not even worth my engaging. You tell me politics in the framework of that? Absolutely it is, right? And usually the goal of that framework typically is to convince ourselves that we are superior to others, right? Therefore, I don't need to engage with them with compassion or kindness or engage them at all. So what happens when the church's mission gets conflated with stuff like that, conflated, two, two things mixed together and mistaken as one. What happens when the church's mission, when God's purposes gets conflated with a political trend or political stance? Well, then what does that do to the framework? You know what that does to a judgmental, uh, superior, oppressive framework? You know what it does? It just fortifies it with religion. It just undergirds, it just... You, you, then you can go about that framework with the approval of your religious conscience. So, so that's, that's God's purposes getting diluted with other purposes. You see how that works? I mean, talk about some darkness. 
You know how all the great dictators in all of history have done the evil, wicked things they've done? By, by hijacking religion and letting it approve of the things that they're doing. Just go check it. Just see. Right? That's very common, right? Because then we can treat other people with contempt and hatred and even violence and do it in the name of Christianity. That's what happens when God's mission gets hijacked in the church, right? What happens when your Christian vision or purpose um, gets conflated with health, wealth, and prosperity? What happens when we think the mission of the church is to make us happy, healthy, and wealthy? Well, then you hold the poor in contempt. What's that look like? Well, when you see a poor person, you said they probably deserved it. And it allows you to ignore the needs of the poor, here's the catch, with the approve of your Christian conscience. With the approval of your Christian conscience. That's what happens when we conflate God's mission, God's purposes with the church, with other lesser things. But if we're all made in God's image, right, that idea blasts this out of the water, right? Because the fundamental framework for how we engage with others is that they, no matter how different they think or look or act, were created like us to image the beauty and the glory of God to all of creation. It means our fundamental framework for how we treat others is that they too are called to this glorious mandate to image God to creation. They're made with inherent beauty, every single one of them, no matter what politics they subscribe to, no matter what ethnicity or socioeconomic status they are, they are made with inherent dignity and beauty and are to be treated as such. Which clarifies, as a side note, the goal of any help you would ever render to your fellow man. Why do we counsel? Why do we lend a helping hand? Why do we serve? Because we want them to understand and know that they were created for glory. To know it and to represent it, right? They were created not only to personally know the beauty of God, but to echo the beauty of God to all of the earth. Now, there's a whole lot of ways to communicate these ideas, okay? But what we've landed on in this church and our mission is declaring and delighting. That's what we've landed on. And the argument goes as such. The way we best reflect the goodness of God and the beauty of God is to first and foremost be in love with God. That's the argument. And that's what we're going to be unpacking a good back. That, that's delighting, okay? And only when we are delighting in his goodness can we authentically represent him to others. That's declaring, representing him to others, right? And this is what we will be exploring over the next month or so. But for today, the first thing we wanted to sit with was the, and clarify is that the fundamental motivator for being the church, we're gonna close with this. The fundamental motivator for being the church, okay? The undercurrent that sets its course, the undercurrent that sets its course and also empowers it to go in that way, the mission and the means, right? The purpose, the sustaining strength of the church is not you. And it is not me. Praise his name. I just like burden off, man. It's not you and it's not me. It's not your likes and it's not your dislikes. It is not your musical preferences. It is not your political stances. It is not guided by your ethnicity or sociology or economic status. It is not a cultural trend, right, that you can get swept up with, that we often do. In fact, the purposes and the sustaining strength of the church, right, it's not me and you at all. The purposes and sustaining strength of the church is the overflowing goodness and beauty and glory of God. And that's what we're going to be 
digging into, right? The purposes and sustaining strength of the church is the overflowing goodness, beauty, and glory of God. It flows out of us when we believe that there's no other fountain the human soul can drink of that gives true life. So as we begin our discussion on purpose and mission and what it means for us corporately and individually, I think we do well to consider that a corporate mission of what we feel called to as a group of friends means nothing if you have no sense of personal mission yourself. And this is what I want you to consider this week. Do you have any sense of meaning and purpose in your life that is greater than your own appetites and desires? Do you have any sense of meaning and purpose in your life that is greater than your own appetites and desires? That's what I want you to sit with this week. Is there anything steering, anything steering, right? The way in which you engage others over and above your felt needs in that moment. Gosh, you gotta sit with that, man. Is there anything steering the way that you engage others over and above your felt needs in the moment? In other words, why am I gonna talk to this person? Well, because I, I want to, and I, I need to talk to someone. You got anything else? <laughs> Any other reason why you might wanna like love someone or serve someone? Or, or is it only ever always I'm doing this so I'll get something in return. Is there anything greater that can guide and steer your motivation? <laughs> anything. I'm telling you if, you, if you sit with this this week, if you'll take this seriously, this will lead to some stuff in your life. I mean, you don't have to. You can just let it go one and out the other. But if you will sit with this, it's going to cause you to ask some harder questions, man. Because here's the reality. All of us are looking for a cause, man. I want to be known by something. He's good at this, right? She's good at, he's passionate about this. And it's amazing to me that God offers us his own mission and purpose. And we often find ourselves entrenched in missions and purposes that in the end we'll find was led by nothing else than our own stomachs. There is a greater purpose for us, y'all. There's a greater meaning that we can dig into or neglect as a group and individually. And that's what I want to talk about over the next couple months. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, amidst waves and undercurrents of society and amidst the waves and undercurrents of our own needs, Lord, our own appetites and desires. God, would you help us to anchor our souls in you? Lord, would you help us to understand what that means, to have something stronger underneath the surface that's holding us fast, that's motivating us on, Lord, that's pushing us something greater and deeper than our own needs and wants. Father, have mercy on us, God. God, help our hearts and minds this, this morning ask some questions that will lead us to anchor our hearts, not in ourselves, but in you. God, lead us to um, lean on a motivation that's greater than just surviving through the day. You know? Lord, I, I ask for a holy restlessness in our hearts, Lord, that you would provoke us to live our lives for greater than our own selves, Lord. Something greater, something bigger, larger, more lasting than our own lives, God. Lord, help us be contributing to something that will last, 
God, and help us feel the purpose and the meaning behind that. Yeah. Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.